0: Welcome to Talking Heads, Chip Franklin, Andy Zemanitas. Hello, Andy. What's up, Chip? Uh, crazy. Uh, since people heard us talk the last time, a lot of events have occurred. Um, obviously, in Ukraine, here in the United States, our, our political season really heating up as we start to go into the summer and looking at the, the midterms. And there's still a lot of confusion as, as to what exactly is going to happen. Um, uh, will Biden actually be able to uh, pick up enough momentum to help the Democrats in the fall? And then, of course, the Senate races that are that are blossoming around everybody from Tim Ryan to Dr. Oz to. Well, there's a bunch of them. We'll get to all that. Um, But you wanted to jump in with
1: something first. What was that? Well, first of all, when you're talking about whether Biden can pick up momentum, uh, the other big thing that's happened since our last episode is baseball season has started and Hope Springs eternal that's why i wear my my cubs jersey they're not going to win but you know they, they they're they're two in one now i think the other chicago team may be a world series champ uh but this is this is when uh when people are looking at what may happen how can we reverse the dark outlook for the midterms look at look at some of the civil wars that are happening within the republican party uh trump's Endorsement of David Perdue over Brian Kemp doesn't seem to be playing well. Uh, And he made another controversial endorsement this weekend, uh, endorsing Dr. Oz in the Pennsylvania Senate primary. He's getting all kinds of backlash from Eric Erickson. Uh, There are are people on Twitter saying this is the least MAGA, least American first thing you could do. his opponent, Daz's opponent, who is leading him in the polls, David McCormick, has the the support of Trump officials like Mike Pompeo,
0: Hope Hicks. And you hear where McCormick actually said, we got to start taxing the middle class. You know, the middle class has to they have to pay a little bit more. It's got this has to be spread across, which is, you know, I mean, it's 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 definitely kind of goldwater ish. Right. You know, I mean, but it, it's not this group. It's it's definitely not the, you know, the far right, the. Uh, Tea Party and the Trumpers. But, uh, you know, we do find ourselves, you know, look at Herschel Walker and look at the insanity that's going on down there. Here's a guy that, you know, openly questioned whether or not evolution exists, yeah. you know, because he said, he goes, if we came from apes, how come there's still apes here? And of course, SNL had a funny bit saying, oh, that's true, because we have Honey Nut Cheerios. How come there's still Cheerios? You know, or he asked, you know, why are there still apes? And I said, well, somebody has to live in Florida. You get the picture anyway. There's a whole stretch here of trying to figure out. Um, you know what's vulnerable, what's not. I don't think that any of the problems the Republicans have will fix the Democrats' problem because they're still going to vote R. At the end of the day, the the vast swath of them, you know, everybody but maybe you know, Kinsinger and Liz Cheney are going to vote R in the fall, and I'm yet to be convinced that that's going to change.
1: They may vote R, but I think if we don't have, we need, we're designed to be a two party system. Anybody who's trying to have a one party uh, system. We, that's not going to work. And it does matter who we get to talk to. Why is, why is the January 6th commission not working? Because Kevin McCarthy dis, insisted on putting on members who were subscribers to the big lie, believers in the big lie. Uh, frankly, the big lie has got to be killed first in the Republican Party. And uh, and Georgia is a great example of it. But you're looking at it in primary after primary. Trump is going for the people who subscribe to the big lie. Uh, sure. Is, and what, what does he say
0: every time? What what is what is the Trump uh, enthusiast, what do they say every time when they're confronted with facts? Two words, Hunter's laptop. Yeah, Hunter's laptop. And that thing's just growing. It's going to get – they're probably going to indict that guy sometime in the next 12 months. Well,
1: I mean, this is a rule of law episode. Uh, One thing I also want to point out, they they say that they pretended they're America first, but, you know, the Dr. Oz uh, endorsement is very interesting because that's anything but America first. You have someone who is a veteran of the Turkish Army, who has raised questions as whether he would even give up his Turkish citizenship um, to serve as a U.S. senator with security clearance. And uh, Josh Rogan in the Washington Post uh, quoted a lot of officials. And since we got the sports team, including Ennis Cantor Freedom, who said this guy would be under the thumb of Erdogan. And let's remember, this is the same Turkish president that had bribed Michael Flynn. Uh, Wait, you mean you're saying Oz would be under the thumb of Erdogan? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what Ennis Cantor Freedom said to Josh Rogan. And uh, there's a great Washington Post uh, opinion piece by Rogan on this. So uh, autocracy is very much when we're talking about save democracy, we got to look at the people who are not uh, subscribing to the rule of law. And this is why I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, Jeff Sy who is now uh, the managing partner at DLA Piper in San Francisco, but was um, then Attorney General Kamala Harris's Special Attorney General for, uh, for uh, criminal, uh, served in the Justice Department in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and more importantly, always gave me credit for believing in the Cubs uh, while we were in law school. Oh, Chad, welcome. Welcome. I had snobs
2: with your Cubs. guys. Yeah, sorry. It, it is baseball season. Indy. my brother it's good to see you, Chip. It's nice to see you to uh, a San Francisco broadcast legend. So it's great to be with both
1: you guys. The Cubs are
2: Cubs are doing OK right now. But I'll tell you what, the Giants are doing great. So are the Astros. It's going to be a good baseball season
1: jeff has lived in enough cities chip that he can claim field everyone miami new york uh, they're, they're like san my children I love them all. let's start all. with san francisco let's
0: let's start with a question um when will they start arresting shoplifters i'm um, you know yeah. i i only i'm only half kidding because I, I interviewed chesa bodine a couple times uh um and when he first was coming into office and you know his he proposed this you know uh, no cash bail which really makes a lot of sense when you stop and break it down if you're not on fox news and you give it a real fair hearing it does make sense you have people serving a year and a half in jail before they get to court and then they're found innocent but they couldn't get bail they couldn't get out it was too much money and then of course the whole country seeing these these viral videos of people walking into these stores i've seen people do it you know and it's not just san francisco it's happening around the country um and, you know, and Kamala Harris and others that were tough on crime uh, found that to be uh, in the Democratic Party, at least one part of the Democratic Party, to be a, a, an incredible burden, a burden for being tough on crime uh, in this in this new woke party. So what what's, is, is, is San Francisco going to just continue to be this this uh, symbol of what's wrong with the Democratic Party?
2: You know, um, I'm glad you raised that question, because I think it goes to a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today. I think all of these issues, especially the ones that we talk about now in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, boil down to one really key concept, which is what is the job of a prosecutor, a judge, a, a defense lawyer to keep people safe and make them feel safe? And so when we talk about no cash bail, it reminds me a lot of the work that I did with Kamala when she was Attorney General. To your point, Chip, she was very much a pro-law enforcement, but also pro-voting rights, pro-civil rights. And that's where she came, before it was a popular thing to do, uh, came to the issue of criminal justice reform and was one of the earliest, in my mind, champions of that issue because it's not a democratic issue. It's not a Republican issue. It's a, for a lot of the folks that we see on the Hill, it is a political football, which is actually too bad because what the no-cash bail issue highlights is that when prosecutors, defense lawyers, but judges, everyone in the system utilizes things like no-cash bail as a basis to make decisions about how to punish people, that's when it becomes a problem, right? And, and, it, in a, and you boil that down, one core piece that I think is actually relevant to everything we're gonna talk about today is, are you taking away discretion from the hands of the people who are in the criminal justice system, who need that discretion to be able to make good decisions. If you are, that tends to give you warped results. So a system where there's proper amounts of discretion for judges to make sentencing decisions, for prosecutors to really keep those folks who are detained, detained, who need to be detained, and then not utilizing things like money, as a basis to keep people in as a form of punishment. I think that's what really the issue is. The problem is that we don't talk about that part enough. We talk about, I think, some of the outward manifestations of it, and it's important. And those viral videos that I think you rightly identified, those go to that heart issue of what keeps people safe. But what really is gonna keep people safe is when we start having honest conversations about who do we need to be keeping detained for committing certain kind of crimes? because. Whether or not you're in San Francisco or in Chicago or in D.C., those are the, those are the kind of offenses that impact all of us. So I, I'm hoping that we can have that kind of honest conversation because to me, criminal justice reform is important. It's, it's, it's too important for it to be a, a political football the way that we saw it just over the past couple of weeks with, with soon to be Justice Jackson.
0: Well, yeah, that was pedophilia. Remember that? I mean, to have Marjorie Taylor Greene and others calling in the Democratic Party, the party of pedophiles, shows you that any sense of nuance in the Republican Party has been murdered. It's gone.
1: But let's keep nuance on our side too. Uh, no cash bail may not be the proper deterrent or cash bail may not be the proper deterrent in many cases. But have we swung? Are, are you seeing in San Fran? Because there's certainly the allegation here in Chicago that we're seeing a swing too far in the other direction. There is no deterrent when we, Chip talked about the shoplifting and. Law enforcement often says the street knows before anybody else. If they, if people can go in and know, they can just walk out with two hundred fifty dollars uh, because nobody's going to take them to court over anything under a thousand. Uh, is there an adjustment that needs to be made on that front? Because it seems the street has adjusted.
2: You know what you're seeing is a, a breakdown in what needs to be a symbiotic relationship between judges, prosecutors, defense lawyers, and law enforcement. If you don't have law enforcement actively working in a good way with the prosecutors, with defense lawyers, then you're going to end up having these kind of what I call warped results where you're going to see a lot of these viral videos because if you swing, which as you refer to it, way too far, where now no one is detained, then that kind of also messes up the system too. The reality is there are cases. There are cases where people prior to going to trial need to be detained. The system is set up that way, but it's about nuance. It's about discretion. It's about recognizing that there cannot be one uh, one rule that applies to everyone with respect to who gets detained and who doesn't. The laws aren't written that way and they shouldn't be. They should be written in such a way that each of the actors in our system have an important role to play. By the way, that includes prosecutors not deciding that in every single case, a person needs to be detained. You're gonna get equally warped results, but you can't swing the other way either. And I think that when there is a recalibration, right now there is not a good calibration. When there's a recalibration, I think, you're gonna find a system, one that we want, where you can have those circumstances for people who are recidivists, the ones who have proved that they are going to be committing crimes again and again, that there is an approach in the system to address that. But we cannot use the fact that we have certain tools, like detention, as a means to say, we're going to lock everyone up. That that gets us to the exact problem well, why criminal justice reform has been a conversation, rightfully so. And
0: Andy, can I throw this in? So like you said something that's real important. I mean, recidivism, is that 100% on the, the perpetrator of the crime? Or is it also, a uh, indicator of something we're doing wrong, and I oh, think that, I, I, you know, when you say the second, you lose every Republican, right? To say what you're blaming me because this guy commits crimes. Well, you know, I mean, again, if you get caught with a bag of weed in Oakland, it's different than if you caught with a bag of weed in Marin. We all know that, and it's always been that way.
2: You know, Chip, to the point about nuance. I mean, nuance is, I think, the theme of this conversation because what you just pointed out, I think, is probably the biggest misconception about criminal justice reform when when i worked for now vice president harris one of the things that we did in addressing criminal justice reform was to think about essentially the life cycle of a person who gets caught up in the criminal justice system and and that's where the concept of recidivism comes up Um, the recidivism rate in this country is about 60 some odd percent which is a, a stunningly bad statistic and if you go to almost any state including california that statistic remains pretty static. And and that's troubling on a lot of levels, not the least of which is there are every year billions of dollars that go into the criminal justice system to yield identical results. And recidivism really is probably the most significant factor because it highlights what is absent today in our (laughs) system. Think, Think about this. And i and. You know, when uh, Vice President Harris and I would talk about this, we would think of it in the most practical of terms, both having been courtroom prosecutors. You prosecute someone for an offense. He or she goes to jail, goes to prison, finishes his or her term. What happens at the end of that? Usually that person is given a, a bus ticket. And where is that person gonna go? Usually it's to the same old neighborhood he or she was from. What, do you, what does any normal person think is most likely going to happen? This person doesn't have a driver's license, a bank account, probably doesn't even have a social security card, certainly doesn't have an address. So when you think of those practicalities, it, it almost is a wonder that the recidivism rate isn't higher. Hmm. So what does that mean? What we focused on and the work that we did was to try to focus on the idea that reentry, is the key to reducing recidivism. By the way, if if you are a a law-abiding person, Republican or Democrat, that's something you can get behind, right? This idea that someone who has served her time in jail or prison doesn't commit another offense again. So reentry really is the key to all of this. And that includes putting people in a position where they can get, I know this sounds strange to say, an education, the ability to get a job, maybe a bank account, a driver's license, some semblance of a normal life that I think the three of us and millions of people in this country take for granted as just something normal. But what we want is for people to get out of that cycle, that cycle of crime. And I, Chip, I really like that you raised that point because I think that is the probably least discussed aspect of criminal justice reform. We talk about a lot. Hey, that person committed a crime. What are we gonna do? By the way, who's against Someone not um, um, uh, serving his or her time or paying back to society what he or she stole, but it's not enough to just talk about that, right? If we don't want this to commit this crime to be committed again, we need to make sure we're focusing on that person getting better. That's right. That's not a bad. That's not a soft on crime thing. That's a smart on crime, as Kamala Harris would call it, right? A kind of a You're making a,
1: you're making a compelling case, but that unfortunately that's not the case that's being made. That's not being made it's not It's too nuanced and you know people uh people are focusing on the lack of prosecutions and the fact is we look at it even in blue states here in 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 illinois whether it's the the problems that my mayor is facing they're almost all crime related and if that case isn't made uh people are going to focus on the lack of uh, of prosecutions but we really wanted to get your opinion before we get too far uh, into the episode on a historic Supreme Court uh, nomination. Of actually, now the first, if I'm correct, the first public defender ever to serve. Uh, That's right. But situation. doesn't she kind of dovetail out of this conversation in a way? Oh, I mean, very much you know? so. Uh, and w- w- why don't you just opine on the history-making moment? So,
2: so to Chip's point, there is a really nice dovetail to what we just talked about, because um, there is one aspect of, of Justice Jackson, soon-to-be Justice Jack- Jackson, that's pretty amazing, uh, a first in so many different ways, although as Kamala Harris would call it, not the last, uh, the first public defender, the first uh, African-American woman on the Supreme Court. All of those things independently by themselves are enough to just have a conversation and be very happy that this has happened. But what is also very significant is, and I think I have this right when I say this, she is also going to be the first uh, sentencing commission commissioner to be serving on the U.S. Supreme Court, um, other than those federal judges who are um, um, uh, by definition members um, of that seven-person commission. That's pretty important too, because when we talk, we have this conversation about Uh, uh, being soft on crime, hard on crime. A a lot of those things relate to what we see at the federal level in sentencing policy. And that's the US Sentencing Commission. It plays a huge role in that. And when we talk about this pendulum swing and to use the term swinging this way or that way, a lot of that in history has come from that sentencing commission. So I think that what we're gonna see, although the dynamics of the court are not in uh, um, our favor right now, the the six to three dynamic. I think you're going to see, nevertheless, that in criminal justice policy, you're going to see a lot of Republicans and Democrats, or at least what people refer to as Republicans and Democrats on the court, coming together on a lot of things. By the even, way, even that's, though that's, that's, we both a, did...
1: that's a good thing, you should you should see that. Sure, criminal and, justice
2: policy should not be a Republican or a Democratic thing.
1: And and of course, from our you know. From our various classes in constitutional lo- law, we know how important the dissent and well, well-crafted dissents are uh, to constitutional law and and the rule of law. I kind of want to I want to throw out a political question to you both though. Uh, I was I'm still especially because you noted that it's a six-three court. That this appointment did not change the dynamic of the court in. And there is no case. This is not like the Merrick Garland uh, appointment that would change the the dynamic of the court. Do you think it was bad politics for the Republicans to approach uh, the way they did uh, a black female justice? Uh, and I'm going to harken back to the 2018 midterm, uh, where the you know it seems that the 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 Kavanaugh hearings helped motivate. Republican voters. Uh, Does this, was this bad? I mean, Lindsey Graham is doing attack ads post-confirmation on on the soon-to-be justice. Good politics or bad politics? Bad. (laughs) Bad. To me,
2: what was very disheartening from the perspective of a lawyer, a former prosecutor, a current defense lawyer, someone who's interested in the evolution and development of the law, is that, these, this, this particular set of hearings highlighted for me that on some level, you can put anyone before the Senate Judiciary Committee in its current constitution, and I mean that in the, in the current political climate that we have, and that person will not be good enough to the other party. Justice Jackson putting her gender aside, her race aside, is single-handedly one of the most qualified, competent, ready, people to serve on the court. There's not, you can't really have an argument or a debate about that. I get, and I appreciate that the politics have to be a part, by the way, that's the, that's, that's the system. But for the Supreme Court, it is it is slightly different. And it's not at least supposed to be purely about politics. It, it, and and I think that what we saw in the, the two, the 24 hours worth of hearings, hours of, of, of hearing testimony we had, was that there was something else at play that simply didn't go to the issue of whether or not she was going to be good for the court. And that, and that really was, was too bad.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you a question um, about the, the, the whole idea of a nine person Supreme court. I'm not, you know, the term packing is prejudicial. I think it sounds like a pejorative, but I mean, wouldn't it make sense to have more than a pickup squad of basketball players determining some of the heaviest uh, you know, the, the, the matters with the greatest gravity that our nation will face moving forward. And let's be honest, everything from CRISPR technology to to, you know, social issues that that uh, that plague us in our inner cities. Um, it seems to me having more people and I would even you know, I would if I were president, if I were Biden, I'd go to McConnell and say, look, you know, let's put five more on there and I'll give you two of them and we'll take three, you know, and, you know, and, and just try to move this thing forward. Um, but it doesn't seem to have any momentum at all whatsoever and, and I think most people, I mean, you know, just or the other idea where you could rotate these guys off the bench after 18 years. I mean, you know, just because they have life appointments doesn't mean they have a life appointment to the Supreme court. You know, they're federal judges. We can move them around. I, I, to me, it seems like there's something inherently misunderstood about their role. And I'm not talking about Marbury Madison. I'm talking about right now, you know, what their role should be. And when you look at Clarence Thomas's wife and you realize, whoa, this, this is way off, way off the, uh, the reservation now. Or there—that's a racist term. Um, uh, but you get my point. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out exactly where we go from here.
2: You know, um, it, it is the issue of what, again, like you said, pejoratively, is referred to as court packing, or, or this idea of adding more people to the Supreme Court. Really, is a third rail issue because if if you believe from let's just call it in terms of history, uh, the 2000 election as, the, as, a, as a turning point where the Supreme Court to many people uh, started to take a political bent, this kind of slouching towards more of a, of a political oriented entity, then what you have in this issue is probably laying bare that the, the whole conceit behind the Supreme Court. And what I mean by that is this concept that there is an institution in our country that can truly be if this is even possible neutral right the whole idea of being a judge wearing a, a black robe so one of the concerns i have about the idea of adding more supreme court justices is that for some people it works today but for those same folks it may not work tomorrow and that's where you start to turn the court and that's not just the court in terms of that building on the east side of the Capitol. i don't mean that in just that narrow sense but you turn the judiciary as a concept into a weather vane. And whether or not, to your point, Chip, you're talking about Marbury versus Madison, Korematsu, some of the most important cases uh, that this country's ever seen. you put that aside, just the concept of the Supreme Court, the judiciary as an entity being a weather vane is is really disturbing. So, so but what does that mean, right? Because it's not enough for me to say, "Ah, that's disturbing, but it's to talk about Why would even the point like you, I think, raised, why would that even be raised? Why would that even be identified by people? And I think it highlights what the real conversation is today to the point about nuance. Right. It really highlights that there is a real sense perception wise that politics is invading too much the conversations and the cases that are going on at the Supreme Court. That is not good. That's bad for the court. And, and that puts the responsibility on the Chief Justice. And I think you're seeing that a lot, frankly, in some of the decisions that are being yes. handed down, where Chief Justice Roberts is actually ruling. With, exactly. With, with some of what you would think would be the more liberal sided justices. And right. I think you're in part seeing that because of his effort to preserve the institution. That itself is not a bad thing. Well, it it's ironic
0: that way. a strict constructionist would be standing up with liberals, right? I mean, he, you know. He,
2: he is an institutionalist, but I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of irony in, in some of these things. But the, the, the real question, I think, for a, a lot of us, either those of us who are lawyers, but those of us who are just citizens in this country, is what is it What is that we expect out of the Supreme Court? And right. And so I go back to Justice, soon to be Justice Jackson, because we see on the, pretty soon, in a couple of months, the Supreme Court, the first African-American woman, that itself should give everyone a moment to pause and reflect on that 220 some odd years it took but finally it happened and, and i say this with just a smidge just a tiny bit of experience having been a law clerk to who at the time was the youngest african-american woman to serve in the federal judiciary she was, my, my my judge judge gilmore who's recently just retired from the bench was 37 at the time And what is really what was what was so instructive for me as a young lawyer sitting kind of next to her and then and then, frankly, having that opportunity a few years later to work for um, the first African-American attorney general of the state of California was it is a different experience, not one that I can speak about, a different experience to be in those kinds of positions as an African-American woman. And I think it's important and it's important that the country see that it's important my two daughters see that. And so I think those are the kinds of things and so uh, that uh, help move in a positive way the perception of the Supreme Court. and I think uh, President Biden deserves nothing but congratulations for being committed and then following through on doing that and I think credit goes to Vice
1: President Harris too So but isn't one of the problems this this is history, this is credit, but when you talk about and I think what Chip was talking about court packing. He was talking about strict constructionists. Let's go back to when we first heard the term court packing. It was during FDR, right? And it was was a strategy to get the court out of the way of the will of Congress. Congress and the president were getting legislation through. The court Uh, was a block. But I only bring this up because Chip said strict constructionists and liberals. Aren't the liberals... In the court, isn't the court minority undefined other than being liberal? Haven't the conservatives, whether it's been a generational effort at federalist societies, law clerks, they're defined and they're not particularly strict constructionists. They just throw that out, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, he said he's a strict constructionist, right?" It's, it's like they're looking at that painting behind you and seeing whatever they want to see, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, you see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I do have to point out, and we gotta promote that. Room Raider gave Jeff a ten out of ten for this room. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it, it's uh, a Other, other than being on this
2: show, it was a real. It, that was my biggest highlight. For <laughs> room but th- it's now second place to
1: this. But isn't that the problem that the the conservative part of the court and of the legal movement uh, has, has created a brand that people are like, yes, I believe in strict construction or I believe in originalism. Yes, you know abortion. And, and frankly, I don't think that's why any of these people were supported by the Federalist Society or Mitch McConnell because of abortion. They were appointed because it would undermine the regulatory state like they just did in an, an in an EPA case. How do you fix that? Because it it looks to me every court battle since the Clarence Thomas one has been won by the right.
2: You know, uh, I think the concept of being an originalist, a strict constructionist, has a lot of surface appeal to it. But the the reality is that, and by the way, let me say, I'll tell you why, from my my perspective, I, I think some of it is because uh, people want to the point I was trying to make before. People want judges to be reliable, reliable in their fidelity to the law, reliable that they will do the right thing at all times. And the concept of staying moored to something, right? I'm a strict constructionist gives you that kind of, it has that kind of surface appeal to it. The problem is that th- there's a whole lot more nuance to just this concept of being an originalist or a strict constructionist. Sure. If you really think about it, every judge in this country from a justice of the peace and some county to a Supreme Court justice is both a strict constructionist as well as a person who does statutory interpretation, not because I'm saying that, but because that's what the job is. The job of a judge is to read statutes that someone else, the legislature said, this is the law. But as a lot of cases, including from Marbury versus Madison all the way down, there is an entity, the judiciary that needs to state what the law is, because sometimes those statutes aren't that clear. Well, t- and, and I will say one, one more thing that when you see this, because Indy's identifying a really important part of the debate, when you see that there is this kind of back and forth amongst the judiciary about how to approach certain things, you end up seeing a reaction in the legislature to pass laws that provide no discretion whatsoever, right? Because if you think about it, that's actually the perfect solution, give no one discretion, it's an easy call. But those easy calls result in what i refer to as those super warped results which is why discretion and nuance is so important
0: i mean ever since roe v wade um whatever we used to call a conservative has disappeared in other words if you want you can't have any more government than a government that can come into your wife's uh doctor's office with her right i mean that's that's about as invasive as it gets but you go you go down that line and you start, out you know, you got Mike Braun, the senator from Indiana, saying states should be able to stop blacks and whites from marrying. I mean, this is not a conservative. Right. You go down and you look at uh, I mean, you just go down the list. I mean, uh, yeah, and- I know. There
1: was an Alaska candidate this weekend who declared that uh, they should be able to criminalize uh, getting shipments of. Uh, condoms in the mail or or birth control pills. Sorry.
0: So I guess my point is, it's like, I mean, at some point the Democrats have to recognize um, that if they really wanted to find that part of the the Republican party, that, um, that we all look back so longingly toward, you know, like this, this group of people that were reasonable. I mean, I remember seeing Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy at the Palm having lunch and not strangling each other. And you couldn't have had two more, Kind of classically different human beings in the room. I, I, I just think that you know, racism is bad business. It's bad. You're you're keeping potential customers down. I mean, that's the only way I can think to talk to these people now because they attacked Jackson and they attacked her for, uh, uh you know, when 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 Ted Cruz is asking her, can she identify a difference between a man and a woman? I don't think I've ever I've I felt insulted, and I wasn't even sitting up there, you know. Um, there are people now that have absolutely not even a sense of, we talked about sense of. they have no sense of nuance, no sense of irony. They have no sense at all uh, of, of what it's like to just be a a decent human being it's gone. And, you know, I mean, I think that's why you see this polarization and we got to get back. If we're going to get back to something, we have to break it down and just say, you know, what's good for everybody. What's the best thing for everybody. And the best thing for everybody is not to have uh, a permanent uh, underclass, just bad business. It's morally, it's wrong, but it's just bad. I mean, somebody should be saying that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think you're, I think you're right. Those things are bad for business, and and that's part of the reason why it was, it was such a good point. And it wasn't even that long ago when there was this zeitgeist around criminal justice reform. You saw Republicans, Republicans and Democrats. You saw the Newt Gingriches, literally Newt Gingrich himself on the side of of, quote-unquote traditional criminal justice reformists um, who are typically liberal or on the democratic side coming together, is my point. And and that was a wonder not just because you have R&D sitting in the room, because there was a central rallying point, right, a recognition that racism is bad for business, that these things that are fundamentally, that all of us are fundamentally against, it's something that we can kind of strip strip away the, the D and the R and the R and the D and, and come together on. Um, uh, who knows when that's, that's going to return? But I think that what you're seeing and, and certain, you know if you, if you look at little vignettes, if you look at little indicators, there's hope that that's the case. For example, Liz Cheney, who many people, if you're a Democrat, disagree with on, on many levels, by the way, she Every level, uh, just announced, I think, that she raised almost three million dollars in her in her last quarter that tells you something not not because that's the only significant factor when whether you're a a good politician or a bad one but i think it highlights a lot that there is maybe a changing tide and i think that's important and that and by one thing we've learned from the what i what i think is that post trump era that that we might be in right now is that fighting a, 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 a you know non-nuance with more non-nuance is not really the answer. That just gets you a lot of non-nuanced blunt approaches to things, which is if you know anything about policy and Indy does more than any person I've ever met, that's not good policy. That's not good foreign policy, it's not good domestic policy. So it, is is that Pollyanna on my part? Maybe, I hope not. But I'm yeah, starting I mean, to see in